Okay, good evening. So the big question when young ladies are dating is, are you marrying, or are you looking for a guy who's working or learning? What do you have in mind? And that's very much a question for young men as well, as they're going through their yeshiva experience. The question is, well, what do I want to do? How many years post high school do I want to stay involved with learning? Is this a long-term uh, aspiration I have? Is it something that I want to quickly transition into the, uh, the working world? So it's a question that girls have when they're dating. It's a question that boys have in trying to plan and, and organize their life. And it's a question that we have as parents, trying to give hadracha either to young ladies or young men. One thing that's clear is that the goal of every single person is to come closer to Hashem. That is undebatable. We're trying to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and what's also clear is that there are many different ways of doing that. Learning, as we know, Talmud Torah K'neged Kulam is a foundation of our of our yadus, it's a foundation of our connection with Hashem, and it's something that no matter what we do professionally, there needs to be a kavias, there has to be a real set time and a set focus in Limud HaTorah. That goes without saying. When it comes to analyzing what I want to do with my life, or what do I want my husband to be doing with his life, this gets us into the topic of should I be a worker or should I be a learner? The Ramchal at the very end of the Mesil Sisharim, he gives us a generic, kind of a universal perspective on reaching greatness. He says, it's poshit, it's clear. Ki kol adam lufi ha'umnus asher biyado, every person, based on what he's doing, his job, his life, his circumstance. Everyone will have to arrive at Hasidus, at this higher relationship with Hashem in their own unique way. The path of Hasidus for someone whose whole life is in the base Madrash and he's learning and he's teaching will not be the same path for someone who is engaged in business. It's the same goal, it's the same mission of coming closer to Hashem, but how I get there will be a very different path. And that's true for everything that goes on in my life. What am I doing with my day? How am I scheduling my, my week? Everyone has to find all of those areas that can bring a person closer to Hashem. The way that he summarizes the goal of everybody, no matter what we're doing, The goal is to bring Hashem Nachas. We want to bring Hashem Nachas, and there are different ways of doing that, depending on personalities, 
and what we, uh, what we connect with. He concludes, the Ramchal, by saying, You could have someone who's a total, complete chassid, who's always involved with learning, just like you could have someone who's a total, complete chassid, who's a bal melacha pechusa. What do you do for a living? I scrape up dead animals from the road. Did you always dream of that as you were growing up? No. I'd rather not be scraping up dead animals from the road, but I have to make a panasa, and this is how I do it. Says the Ramchal, you could be one of those two extremes, and you could still both make it to giving Hashem nachas ruach. Somebody once asked Rav Aaron Leib Steinman, why don't you write a sefer, or at least have somebody write a sefer for you, Describing your avodas Hashem. Bar and Leib had, had a way of doing everything. There's a beautiful sefer, Ka'ayal Taurog, where it quotes the response of Bar and Leib to this particular question. He said, what's the point of me writing a sefer telling people how I structure my life and my, my learning and my chesed What's going to happen if I write that Sefer and then people read it? So if you buy into it, you'll feel this is the way to do it. This is the, the derech of avoda. And if I see somebody else who's not doing it that way, then naturally, my feeling is, you're doing it wrong. You don't have the Sefer of Arnleib Steinman teaching you how to do avoda Hashem. And I do have that Sefer. He says, Whenever a sefer like this comes out, not to say, obviously, there's a lot to gain from any sefer that's composed by any gadol, but if there's a book guiding you on how to do your vodas Hashem, what ends up happening is that I, who am reading the book, I'm looking around, and I end up looking down, or even make fun of those people who are not in the same path that I am. If I do write my, my ways and my hanhaga, people who now embrace my, my hadracha and my guidance, they're going to look at others and assume that they're making a mistake in life. So therefore, he says, what's the point of writing a Sefer in this regard? Rather, what should you do if you're trying to find out the proper path of Avodah Hashem that works for you? <speaking in Hebrew> Ultimately, it comes down to taking responsibility and acting according to the root of your neshama. The derech of avoda that's right for you. I feel it's impossible to have any set path or a list of instructions. This is how you should manage your avodas Hashem. Because ultimately everybody will be different. One of the most important elements in analyzing this hashkafa of 
wanting to bring Hashem Nachas Ruach, understanding that Limud HaTorah is essential, no matter what I'm doing as a career. But how do I discover that, that Shorish of the Neshama, the root of my, of my essence, to be able to, to channel and, and connect with the Voda based on my, on my personality, based on my unique perspective? How do I find that? And there is a danger if we don't strive to discover what that Shorish Neshama is. Rav Kook writes in the Oros Hachuva, he says, sometimes the greatest kilkel, the greatest disruption in a person's life can be based on one not being aware of who he or she really is and what we need. Kilkul comes into one's life when I forget or I don't try to discover who I am. So it's a lot easier potentially to, to mimic everyone else around me and just to go with the flow. But Rav Kook is telling us if we don't have the courage to really explore who we are and what we need, that brings the kilkel. That's a disruption in my avodas Hashem. And I could potentially live a life where I'm, I'm committed and I'm, and I'm connected to Torah, but I'm not really being me. And therefore, I'm not finding that derech, that unique path that I need to ultimately bring Hashem nachas ruach. Rav Kook, in, uh, in a different sefer, in the Oros HaTorah, he speaks about some of the, the challenges we have with ed- education. And it's very easy to pontificate and to sit back in the, uh, the armchair with a cigar and poke fun of any educational institution. And that's not our job. But to appreciate the challenges that any institution when we're trying to, to teach and inspire children or ourselves, it's very difficult because, by definition, it can't be tailor-made for the individual. So Rav Kook, when he speaks about the challenges of, of teaching, he says, If there's a lack of clarity, right? picture a child in the classroom, and everything that's being taught is, is totally over his head. He can't pay attention sufficiently. He's not grasping the, the, the basic ideas. What does that do besides destroy your self-esteem? It brings a feeling of, of kavedus, of, of heaviness. Right? I'm not light and geschmack and, and, and energized, but I'm feeling the burden, the burden of, of being in this environment where I know I'm not getting it like everybody else is. And that leads to what Rav Kook calls Ma'osa Shel Torah. It could bring a feeling of Ma'osa means disgust. I could almost view my Judaism, my Torah learning as this is, this is just gross. Why does it taste so bad? Why, is it, why does it disturb you so much? Because I'm not getting it. Why aren't you getting it? Well, I, I might have learning challenges. Uh, the Rebbe might be incompetent. There might be many factors. I might not be getting enough sleep. 
But when I don't understand something intellectually, I'm not able to, to, to fit in with whatever that system is that I'm presently in. It doesn't just create, oh, now there's a disconnect in my, uh, in my intellectual striving towards greatness, but it hits me emotionally because obviously it does impact my self-esteem and it will have a very negative ramification in how I view HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how I view my, my Limit HaTorah. Rav Kook says, Yeshnam There have been many people who w- went way off the derech, because the type of education that they were exposed to, bogdu means it was it was in contrast. There was there was like this this turmoil. It wasn't connecting with them, and therefore, if I'm not getting the the, the tools that I need, if I'm not relating to the Torah that's being taught. So then I come to rebel against that Torah. I don't view it as if maybe there's something wrong with, with the Rebbe. Maybe I just need some extra help, some tutoring. But the natural progression is Torah itself is, is, is hard and it's, it's, it's not joyful and it's disgusting. Therefore, what do we do? Obviously, from a parental standpoint, an educational standpoint, but also for ourselves. Says Rev. Cook, we have to become aware of our own teva, of our own nature, of what we can relate to, of what kind of learning does, does move me. He writes in the, uh, in the middle here, theoretically you could have someone who was thrown into a particular system of learning and call it, you know, a particular in-depth study of Gemara. And he tries it, and it's just not working for him. Now, just to throw in a caveat, when we say something's not working, we always have to be very careful, because sometimes the answer is, maybe I could find ways to make it work. Maybe I could change something, or I could have a different perspective, thereby gaining a lot more. Right? It's not about just, I have to go with, with, with my flow and whatever feels right to me. If you take that approach in life and in learning, we're never striving to change how we are presently. However, if it becomes clear that a particular type of system is just not working, so what do you do at that point? The example he gives is an in-depth learning of halacha. For this personality, I've tried it for many years, I can't stand it. So what do you do now? Option number one is, keep yourself in that same environment and just go with it. And you won't enjoy it. Option number two is try to get someone, right? Try to get some hadracha, some direction. Is there something else I could be focused on? that I can have more of a sipuk nefesh, more of a sense of real satisfaction in my learning. And he says, and this is an incredible idea, if I could find that area of Torah that really speaks to me, that really kind of ignites that fire within, so then the other areas of Torah that weren't as interesting, 
or they were even somewhat of a, of a burden, I now relate to them in a whole different way. Because I found that area that, 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 that my neshama sings. It feels so natural. And, and therefore, I'm enjoying it. And I'm, 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 I'm excelling in it. Okay, I also have to learn halacha. And I also have to do gemara. And those might not be my first choices, but the fact that I have my fix, then everything else becomes more doable and more enjoyable. Rav Kook concludes over here. He says, Just like we have different areas of learning, and you have to find that area that speaks to you, the same thing is true when it comes to a profession. When it comes to a job, how I'm spending the the vast majority of hours of my day and my week, ideally, and this is not always realistic, but ideally, I want to try to find something that I feel I'm maximizing my kochos. I'm taking my unique qualities, my shorish hanashama, and I'm, I'm allowing them to express themselves in whatever it is I'm doing. Says Rav Kook, Yesh mishin tiyosu chazaka lechachmos miyuchedes. Right? If, as you're thinking about what you want to major in, what you want your profession to be, so then, if you're lucky, you find something that really speaks to you. Pursue it. Don't ignore it. If you have that inner voice that's, that's, that's compelling you to go in a particular direction, don't ignore that inner voice. Obviously, you have to maintain that anchor in learning, no matter what I'm doing and where I'm going in life. I always have to have that anchor in learning. But don't ignore that inner voice when it comes to the realm of my limit HaTorah. And don't ignore that inner voice when it comes to the realm of what am I doing as a professional. Now, we understand there is the concept of Gilgulim. Gilgulim being uh, reincarnated, that we've been here before. How many of us have been here before, by a show of hands? <laughs> if your hand went up too quickly, that's a little bit scary. <laughs> but I think, I think uh, the assumption is, by this time in history, the vast majority of us, we've been here before. So why does the neshama want to come back to this world again? The short answer is, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Yet, if we find ourselves here, and we're somewhat conscious, so that means for some reason, there's still a tikkun, there's more that, that my neshama has to accomplish. How do I know what that tikkun is? Obviously, we have all taryag mitzvos. I'm not going to start cherry-picking. I'm not going to pick and choose. But how do I know within that, that, that vast sea of Torah and mitzvot, what's, what's my focus? What's my area that I need to be misaking? It's interesting, just parenthetically, we could have a different uh, hashkafa conversation on reincarnation. But where does the Gemara speak about the notion of Gilgal? of reincarnation. Those of you who have done Daf Yomi, been through all of Shas, where does it speak about Gilgulim, Rabbi Yeshua? It doesn't. There's no explicit mention of Gilgulim in the Gemara. 
Now, the truth is, in the times of the Ga'onim, right, some of the, the great leaders in the nine, 900s, there were a few who did not necessarily accept the, uh, the belief in, in Gilgal. We don't have it in Shas. It's not mentioned. How do we know for sure it's a Jewish concept? So I remember reading in the, uh, the Chai Olam, a small sefer written by the Stipler Gom. He quotes a story of one of the Gaonim who he was very skeptical about the, uh, the belief in Gilgulim. And he said that he changed his mind after a very tragic situation. There is a child born very ill and a couple days into the child's life as this infant was about to pass away, he, he was there sitting with the infant and he heard the child say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That's what the stipler records in his Sefer Chayol. And this particular Goan said, at that point, I agreed to the belief in Gilgulim. So we've been here before, we're back again, we're, we're here to be misakein something. How do I know what that something is? So the Shevet Musr, Rebbe Liyohu HaKohen of Izmir, he has a somewhat Kabbalistic and also ethical book, Shevet HaMusr, where he speaks about this point. To understand or to gain an insight as to why I'm here, what is my area of tikkun, he says, use the following formula. Da, shekol mitzvah mikol ha-mitzvos asher tis'aven nafshecha lishkoa b'yoser me'acheros. If there's one particular mitzvah that you have this internal desire to be connected to, more than any other mitzvah, you should know this is an indication of the area that I was lacking in a previous Gilgal. And now I have an insight, now I have the direction, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent me back to be mashlim to complete this area of Avoda. And it's almost counterintuitive because sometimes we think you know, the, the Midos Ros, or the particular challenges we have, obviously we want to work on, on everything. But if you were to ask someone before seeing this piece of the Shevet HaMusr, do you think it's, it's, it's reasonable to assume that those areas of deficiency are the main things you should be focused on and trying to work on? I think we would have said, yeah, it probably makes sense. And there's truth to that. If there's something really holding me back, you know, it's serving as, as a mechitza, as a separation between me and a Kaddosh Baruch Hu. So then obviously I have to work on that. But the Shevet Musr is saying something different. He's saying the real indication of what I'm here to accomplish is based on feeling that, that internal connection. If I love doing this mitzvah, then the, then the response is, do more of it. This might be the very purpose why you're in this world. He says, furthermore, because this is likely your tikkun, there will be 
many barriers, many things that get in the way. If it's social pressure, if it's a financial burden, it could be uh, relationships that are difficult. But once you find that area that you really connect with and you want to do more of this, whatever this is, likely there's going to be pushback. And when there's pushback, that's even more of a sign that yes, you're going in the right direction. It's interesting, the discussion between Rosa and Naomi, where Rosa is following her mother-in-law, and Naomi is trying to convince her, go back to Moab, don't come with me, I have nothing to give you. And she keeps on pushing and she keeps on saying, no, I want to be with you. The Pasuk says that when Naomi saw that Rus was mitzametzis, that she was struggling, she was, she was fighting at that point, Naomi said, okay, I'm no longer trying to, uh, to uh, push you away. I'll now accept you. Accepting you means not just into the family, but into, into Judaism. The simple interpretation is that when she saw how sincere she was, that she was fighting to come closer and stay with her mother-in-law, that was the proof that she was, she was genuine. But says the Grod, there's something deeper. What Naomi really picked up on was that with all of her rotzon, all of her desire to stay with her mother-in-law and to convert and to become a Gioris tzaddik, with all of that desire, she also picked up on somewhat of an inner turmoil. It wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't an easy decision. At that point, oh, if there's pushback, that's the clear raya, that's the indication that yes, this is the right move for you. So says the Shevet Musr, when it comes to Avodas Hashem, when it comes to discovering your Shorish Neshama, we have to be real with ourselves. L'chein, and this is true, again, both in the realm of learning and the realm of working. If your heart compels you to be more involved in learning Tanakh, so then, keep on learning Tanakh. Pursue it. Explore it. Now, you could see... Uh, a middle school boy or a high school boy using this as a great response to a Rebbe. At Shmuley, your head's down on the desk. Please look inside. We're in the fourth line of the Gemara. What are you doing? Rebbe, the truth is, the Shevet Musser says that if I don't really feel compelled in this area, likely this is not my tikkun. I feel much more connected when I read Tehillim. Right? That's going to be my Limit HaTorah. So we have to be careful how to apply this. However, th there's a truth. There's a truth here. If one has more of that, that attraction to good old-fashioned Gemara, more so than the esoteric realm, then get involved with Gemara. You don't have to learn Kabbalah. The opposite, though, would also be true. That if a person is really intrigued with more of those mystical teachings... So then don't ignore that. Explore that. Explore it in a responsible way where you could have someone who knows what he's talking about guide you, but don't ignore that inner voice. And he ends off by saying something that's uh, somewhat scary. He says, In Aravodis Hashem, 
if we don't follow our passion, we don't listen to what that, that rotzon, that desire is internally, and therefore it's likely we're not being misakain, we're not, we're not rectifying that area of the neshama as to why I was sent back into this world, Asid litein eshadin, I will have to give judgment before God for not following my passion. That's a strange thing. <laughs> Generally, if you only follow your passions and you just go after Yetzer and you don't think about what Hashem really wants from you, you're going to have to stand in front of the Boreolam and give an accounting. Says the Shevet Musar, the opposite is also true. <laughs> if you don't listen carefully to that inner voice that's compelling you as to what mitzvah or what area of Liman HaTorah or what profession to pursue, and you're ignoring that because it might not be the, the in thing or whatever pressures there, there are, you'll have to explain to a Kaddish Baruch Hu why you didn't listen and follow your passion when it comes to Avodah Hashem. I want to conclude here with uh, an article coming down somewhat in the more practical realm from Aaron Lapiansky. This is an article about trying to choose the right yeshiva for your son. He says, too often a parent pushes a child into a yeshiva that is prestigious, but a poor fit. Yes, you can tell people that my son is in this choshiva yeshiva, but if he's rotting away, then you may have crippled him for life. It's almost ironic that when a parent looks at a yeshiva that boasts very high performing talmidim, he may simply be looking at a yeshiva that has accepted only talmidim that are already very high performing. It's entirely possible that the yeshivas in fact contributed little towards the development of this bacher. A bacher who needs that development yet will not find it there. On the other hand, a yeshiva that takes in boys who are underperformers is many times investing a lot of effort towards their growth and, their growth and development and succeeding. Too often a boy is pushed into the wrong environment with the lame explanation that he needs to be challenged. Or, when he's with good boys, he shines. Too many people use financial and political leverage to force their sons into an environment that is counterproductive for them. <laughs> there was a famous video going around, I must have been sent this by a few different people, from Aaron Leib Steinman, that you had two Rosh Yeshiva who were asking a question about uh, accepting a kid into the yeshiva, or maybe the question was of throwing out the kid, he wasn't fitting in well. And after listening to their, their struggle, he said back, Gaiva. And they were assuming he didn't quite understand the question, so they tried explaining it again. He says, Gaiva, arrogance, basically. You're coming from a perspective where you need a particular reputation of the yeshiva, and the fact you're asking this question about this particular Talmud, it's gaiva. And they tried asking again in a different way, and he just said, gaiva, 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 gaiva. <laughs> Many years ago, I visited Eretz Yisrael with a few boys from our high school in Silver Spring, Maryland. I took them to Rev Yoshev, Zecher Tzadik Levrocha for a bracha. Rav Yoshev's Gabbai told him, these boys are coming next year to learn in Eretz Yisrael, 
They want a bracha to get into the best yeshiva. Rabbi Yoshev nodded, and he gave a bracha, but he changed one word. He said, with Hashem's help, they should get into the most appropriate yeshivas. It's not about the best yeshiva. You should find the yeshiva that's right for you. There are many, many different stripes of yeshivas. For example, strong discipline versus laissez-faire, close interaction with staff versus little interaction, a lot of Moser, a little Moser, some Hasidus, no Hasidus, etc. All of them are right for someone. There are also valuable Makomo Satora for boys who are simultaneously working at a job and need a framework for growth. The, the whole Parsha of, of Toldos, seeing that, that distinction between Yitzchak and Esau, between Yaakov and Esau rather, where the Torah is describing their different tachunos hanefesh, their different personalities. Yaakov is an ishtam, he's Yoshev Oalim. He could sit for hours and he could learn and he could meditate and he could daven. That was his tachunos hanefesh. Esav was an ishtzayid. He needed to be outside. He needed that, that aggression and competition. They needed very different things. When choosing a yeshiva, concludes Rabbi one needs to start by sharply identifying with the proper goal of sending him to a yeshiva. What are we accomplishing by sending a kid to yeshiva? That the bocher become the person that he's meant to be. Being honest with yourself and finding an outsider who understands your child well, likely maybe one of the rebbeim in the high school, will usually help in finding a good yeshiva fit. Yes, it is pleasant to be able to tell our neighbors and friends and shadchanim, that my son learns at such and such prestigious yeshiva, but it's far more rewarding, infinitely more rewarding, to tell the Ribono Shalom after 120, I swallowed my pride to fulfill the trust you invested in me. So the notion of being a worker, being a learner, really comes down to being brutally honest with ourselves, with our children, trying to understand what is it that, that we need, not ignoring that inner voice. If the ultimate path is continued learning, then even within that world, there still has to be a focus and a sensitivity of what direction, how can I navigate that world of, of, of learning? And if that path leads someone to working, then again, we can't ignore that inner voice. What can I be doing to really bring out those kochos that are within me? One thing is for clear, though. Whatever ultimate path a young man takes, if it's a long-term learner or a worker, the notion of going to yeshiva for a good few years after high school is something that all Gedola Yisrael encourage strongly. For one basic reason. Even if I know full well that a long-term learning situation is not my speed, it's not my personality. But having that foundation, having that, that experience of having years within the, the confines of the base medrash, absorbing that, that kedusha and being around people of stature, that changes a person. I'm a transformed human being, and now whatever I do in my life, I have that foundation. And sometimes we don't know who we really are and what we really need. My, my nephew, who was just here a couple of weeks ago for Shabbos, so Baruch Hashem, he's steiging away right now at TTB. 
And when he was in eighth grade, my brother and sister-in-law were deciding where to send him for high school. And at eighth grade, he really had very little interest in, in learning, and they described him as clearly someone who's not going to be into the whole yeshiva thing. And therefore, maybe they were considering, maybe it's not even worth looking into the more yeshivish high schools. That's not his personality. And you know, being the, uh, the nosy uncle, I pushed back. I said, right now he's in eighth grade. The kid is 13, 14 years old. You have no clue who he is. He has no clue who he is. Therefore, you can never sell somebody short. We have to give our children, we have to give ourselves the opportunity of continued growth in all areas of life. However, when we stand in front of the Ribbon Shalom, and we're asked the question, did you listen closely and follow your passion in the Bodhis Hashem? The answer will be a resounding, yes, I did. And then maybe we won't have to come back again for another Gilgul. Okay, have a good night.